please turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. If you have your bulletin, it says that I'm going to preach the title of my sermon, which is Some Songs End in a Downbeat. Let's just be clear, all songs end in a downbeat. <laughs> Thank you, Corey, for reminding me of that. Some songs end in a down note, of course. That may be the same thing, but as you know, not everything is happy for everyone. That's the point. I guess that could have been much simpler to say. If you're new here, on Sunday mornings, we typically go through the Gospel of John. In the evening times, we're going through Jeremiah's prophecy. And if you ever read the book of Jeremiah, oftentimes like drinking from a fire hydrant is difficult sometimes. Another thing that's difficult of Jeremiah, it's a lot like the book of Daniel, it's not in chronological order. Some of the liberals love the book of Jeremiah because they'll say, hey, look, it's not inspired. There's all these different stories. In antiquity, there's all these different translations, some in Egypt, some are in Hebrew. And if you read the text, <laughs> the purpose of the book is they're trying to shut Jeremiah up. He would write a scroll, a king would burn it, him and Baruch would sit down and write another one. They would get rid of that. He would flee to Egypt. They kidnapped him and took him there. He wrote another one, of course. Everywhere he's going, he's writing these scrolls down. He's an older man. Of course he doesn't remember all the stories exactly the way they are. But under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have the book of Jeremiah. And he is preaching to people who have hardened hearts. They're going to temple. They leave the temple and they'll start worshiping idols. They're bringing their idolatrous worship into the house of the living God. Complete wickedness. And he wants their hearts to change. They're just checking the box, living life as if they're okay. And he says, no, you're not okay. You need to get your heart right with God. He's given them the carrot, and now he starts to give them the stick. Babylon's coming, and they're going to completely destroy you if you don't repent and trust in the Lord. They don't care. As a matter of fact, they want to kill him. And we're going to see a man named Pashur, what he is going to do to Jeremiah, that's going to cause him to write this psalm. So before we hear Jeremiah 20, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of Jeremiah and the preaching of Jeremiah. Father, we come before you once again, and we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for how you love us. And Father, we pray that you would be with us as we study Jeremiah chapter 20. There are some difficult things here, but we know that it's your word, that your word is inerrant, that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and Father, it is for our good. So Father, we pray that you would encourage people from the reading of the word and through the preaching of the word. We pray you meet with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeremiah 20 verse 1. Now Pashur, the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all of your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah 
into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall call them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hands of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them into Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. Then Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as if it were burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let the man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? And thus sends the reading the very word of God. Arthur Brooke in 1562 was the first one that we know of at least to pen an Italian folklore. And in Italy, they had this folklore that there was these two powerful families, very wealthy and very powerful, and they hated each other. Problem was, a son from one family fell in love with the daughter from another family. And eventually, 40 years later, of course, William Shakespeare will pick up the, the book from Brooke and turn it into a play, and we know that as Romeo and Juliet. Beautiful love story, isn't it? And the problem is it ends in complete tragedy. They would rather die together than live apart. And we see these tragedies throughout life. Not everything is a fairy tale. Not everything ends on a downbeat, but every, not everything ends in a happy way. Some things are actually sad and it's tragic. Jeremiah, what he writes, this psalm that he pens, does not end in a good note. Doesn't end happily. That should be encouraging to some of you. Because it's in the Word of God, and it's an inspired Word of God for you to have, for you to pray, for you to read. And if you're taking notes, we see five things. The first thing we're going to see is Jeremiah's situation. Second thing we'll see is Jeremiah's response. Third thing we'll see is Jeremiah's psalm. Fourth thing we'll see is Jeremiah's change. And the fifth thing we'll see is Jeremiah's despair. His situation, 
his response, his psalm, his change, and then his despair. And as we look at his situation, he is literally persecuted for preaching the truth. And we have to be careful when we use that word because people use it all the time. I remember in high school, I was a junior, I'd come to the Lord, I was really walking with the Lord, and the seniors in the cool crowd they would go before a game on a Thursday night, go into the booth and drink beer and chew tobacco and talk about things that probably I wouldn't want to be there for anyway. And they didn't invite me. Could you imagine if I said, this persecution? It's not persecution. You weren't invited to a party, Travis. It's not the same. You've met people who have sinned or acted out or done something stupid at their job. They've gotten in trouble. Can they say, I've been persecuted? No, you're not persecuted. You made a dumb decision. You're reaping what you're sowing here. See the difference? There are people every day who preach the truth, who love Jesus, who believe that Jesus is the only way, who believe that the blood of Jesus saves them, who believes in the resurrection, believes in the inerrancy of the word of God. They're preaching the gospel and they get thrown in prison for that. They get whipped and they get beat, thrown in a jail. Some even die. So let's be careful when we use this term. But we can use this term because Jeremiah is preaching the truth and he is being persecuted. He's being persecuted for what he is being told by God to preach. Remember, he's told these covenant people of God that God is going to divorce them. His covenant people? Oh yes. It is a scathing rebuke of how they're living their lives. When the God of the universe who created marriage says, I will divorce you for your idolatry. He's went on to talk about the temple. They're proud of their temple. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple, no one can touch us. Look at the temple. They're actually bringing pagan idolatrous worship into the temple. They're checking the box. They're worshiping on the Sabbath and they're going home and worshiping the false idols just in case they're real too. And Jeremiah is standing at the gates of the temple, preaching to people walking in, telling them, if you don't repent, you're absolutely going to perish forever. They don't like what they're hearing. They don't like him one bit. Chapter 19, he gathers all the people of the city. Pasher may have been there at this time. And he brings them out to the Valley of Gehenna. That's where they take all their trash. That's where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. And he takes this bok bok, this basically flask, smashes it on the ground and says, this is what's going to happen to you for what you're teaching and what you're promoting. They've had enough. It's time to do something about Jeremiah and his preaching. And we see in verse 1, Pashur, the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, probably was the high priest's son. We'll see him again. Well, at least we'll see his son in chapter 38. He doesn't do too many nice things either to Jeremiah. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But he heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. He heard that God is going to destroy you because you have a hardened heart. Because you're just checking a box. You're going through the motions. You don't love the Lord. And in verse 2, Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet. Beat him for, for preaching the gospel, for preaching the truth that God has given him. Literally beat him. And if that wasn't enough, he put him in stocks. 
Some of you may believe it's some type of trap door or prison. I would just believe it's the stocks, like you see in, in Britain where they, where they put their hands out and they put the piece of wood over them and they sat there. Why? They put them in stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. See, it wasn't just enough to beat him. They had to humiliate him. They had to humiliate him. Is that not reminiscent of the death of Jesus? See, it wasn't enough just to kill Jesus, by the way. You remember the scribes, Pharisees, right? they could have sent people in. We saw Saul doing that to Stephen, did we not, in the book of Acts? They killed him. They could have sent the, the Jewish Navy SEALs team in to take care of Jesus. They had to. They killed people all the time. But if they would have just killed him, it wouldn't have humiliated him. They had to prove that Jesus wasn't the son of the living God. He wasn't the Messiah. We need Rome to humiliate him. They had to humiliate Jeremiah. They said he's not a true prophet. And as people are walking in, they're, they're mocking him. This is what they want to see. He's got to be mocked. He just can't die. He has to be humiliated. They wanted to kill the messenger. Not because they just hated Jeremiah. They hated his message. So this is how the world treats us, is it not? Pasher was right about one thing. You can't be neutral when you start hearing these things, can you? You can't be neutral. When someone claims to be God, you can't be neutral. Jesus claimed to be God. We teach Jesus is the only way. Not that he's a way, he's the only way. You can't be neutral. And if the world and the enemy had its way, they would completely humiliate and kill all of us. We know that because they did kill the son when he actually came. They did actually kill the messenger, the prophet, the true prophet of the living God who came. And they would like to do that to everyone if they had their way and if it wasn't for the mercy of God and his protection for those who preach the truth. Which brings us to Jeremiah's response. You would think after being beat, put in the stocks, humiliated, laughed at and mocked, when they let him out, he would say, okay, I'll never preach again. <laughs> I'm good. You win. I, I submit. You're done. I, I, I will never preach this message again. That's not what Jeremiah does. Verse 3, the next day when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said, said to him, the Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. See, Pashur means liberation. As you know, the Jews were enslaved and they were liberated from Egypt. So every day when people heard Pashur, it was a very common name, they thought, the Lord liberates us. He rescues us. But he says, now your name's going to be called terror on every side. Now you're going to be a terror. Instead of liberating people, you and what you teach and what you promote is going to terrorize everyone. It's like calling someone whose name is Grace. You're going to start calling them Wrath. This is what the Lord does. It changes his name. For Thus says the Lord. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord. Look how scathing this is. Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of this city and all its gains and all its prized belongings and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go and there you shall die and you shall be buried 
you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. See, this is very reminiscent of the book of Nahum. Remember the Assyrian army before the Babylonian army thought that people thought, wow, they persecuted God's people and destroyed them even though it was a decree of God. They thought, they're getting off Scott clean. Nothing's happening. Oh no. Nahum says, whoa, 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 whoa. You touch one of God's people, you're going down. You're going to be destroyed. That's exactly what happened. See, Pashur messed with one of God's children. And we've seen this multiple times in the book of Jeremiah. God can discipline, but you better not touch his people. Kind of like you. No one's else going to discipline your child. That's God's people. We don't mess with God's people. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And Jeremiah is telling Pastor, you have now messed with God's children, therefore you will pay the price. You've heard it from this pulpit multiple times. Let the nations be warned, those who are persecuting Christians. Your time will come. God does not tolerate this in his kingdom. Let it be a warning to us how we treat other Christians who love Jesus and how we see others who love Jesus. Which brings us to the third part of this sermon, Jeremiah's Psalm. Because of these events, because of the events with Pasture, because of what took place, because he was beat, because he was put in stocks, now he's going to write a psalm. And you may say, okay, is he into poetry? As you, you may not know this, but Jeremiah is probably one of the most prolific poets in all of Scripture. I don't know if you've even read the book of Lamentations. Really interesting book. It's the most chaotic time in all of Israel. Jerusalem is completely destroyed. Walls are down. I mean, it is just chaotic. And here comes Jeremiah writing the most beautiful book in all of the Old Testament. The way it is laid out, it is just completely beautiful. Because God likes to make beauty and chaos. That's what he does with your soul, right? Does he not? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no hope and God saves you. Why? Because he's good. He likes making beauty and chaos. And Jeremiah is one of the most prolific prophets and the most prolific poets that we know. And he has wrote, in, he's wrote seven different psalms, at least in the book of Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, he's got these confessions. They call them confessions or they call them complaints or laments. He's got a broken heart. Nothing's going right for him. And they call them complaints because when you read it, it kind of looks like a complaint. It's a lament. The early church fathers would say what Jeremiah is writing here is his Gethsemane. It's his moment of darkness. It's his dark night of the soul. And you see that he writes in verse 7, O Lord, you have deceived me. A lot of commentaries don't know what to do with this. Calvin would claim that it's irony. Some don't talk about it. That's what you, when you read commentaries, they don't talk about it. You know that they don't know either. They just, I don't know what to say about this. These are strong words, Jeremiah the prophet. Well, it shows you how dark it is in his soul right now. It shows you how low that he has gone. But the truth is this. There's been times in Jeremiah's life that we see in scriptures that he has sinned before the Lord, even in his prayers. He has asked God to destroy people sinfully. He says, but I'm righteous. And God said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. If you return to me, 
and remember that I'm the righteous one, then you'll be saved. He had to recalibrate Jeremiah's thinking. We don't have any righteousness we bring to God. Our righteousness is in Christ and Christ alone. He's the one that's righteous. He's the one that makes us righteous. He has, he has sinned before in his anger, and God had to recalibrate his thinking. As a matter of fact, God even warned Jeremiah. God didn't trick Jeremiah. Do you remember his calling in Jeremiah 1? What did he say? He said, don't be afraid of the people that are going to try to kill you. I, I, I'm here to deliver you. He says, they will fight against you, but you will prevail. In Jeremiah 12, remember the first complaint? He's complaining, woe is me, I don't like this. And what did God say? If you can't run with these men, how are you going to race with horses? <laughs> it's going to get worse, Jeremiah. Buckle up. <laughs> it's going to get bad. So, so he's not deceived, Jeremiah. That's what Jeremiah's feeling. And it would be easy right now for us to say, well, let's just go ahead and judge the prophet Jeremiah. I would never pray those types of prayer. Well, how self-righteous can we be? How many times have our heart been there questioning the actual providence of God, questioning everything? But he did what was right. He went to the Lord. That's what we're called to do, is go to the Lord. We actually have psalms now that are written so we can go to the Lord and express our hearts without sinning. Here is one. We can express ourselves and go to the Lord. He says, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Verse 8, For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach, a derision all day long. He doesn't like his message. He's like, I'm tired of preaching hellfire and brimstone. Those other things are true. He's like, I don't want to be the prophet of destruction. Can I go around and teach a nicer message? Maybe they'll like me more. Can, can something else be given to me besides of this? And then verse 9 if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. This verse is used at a lot of pastors' ordination sermons or when you go to seminary, and they'll, they'll use this. Because every preacher has this burning within their heart, and if you're not a preacher, you won't understand this. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what David Centers thought when he walked in. He was a little disappointed I showed up because he wanted to preach tonight. <laughs> he likes to preach. He has that burning inside of him, right? There's a couple men here that are going to seminary. They're like, you call them, y'all get right up there. I promise you, I will nail it. They're ready, right? Because they have this burning inside of them to preach. What Jeremiah is saying is, I hate that. I wish it wasn't inside of me. See, people use it out of context quite often. He's like, I don't want that inside of me. I know it's inside of me. I don't want that burning desire to preach and to share this message anymore. I don't want it. This is how dark of a place that he's in. And what stands out of how he got there, it wasn't Pasture beating him in the face or whipping him, whatever he did. It wasn't the humiliation of the stocks. It wasn't the fact that his own family were trying to kill him, if you read through the book of Jeremiah. It wasn't that people wanted to destroy him and, and punch him. What was it in verse 7? I have become a laughing stock. Everyone mocks me. 
You see that? It was the fact that everyone else was laughing at him. Sometimes it's better to get punched than to get laughed at and mocked. But see, this is what the world does. One of the ways they try to shut you up, it may not be through persecution, it may be through laughing and mocking you. And every Christian and every person has to make this decision. Because friendship with the world, I think it was either Mike or Cindy Warnock mentioned that this morning in James. Friendship with the world is enmity against God. You have to choose whether you want to be friends with the world or friends with God. You can't have it both ways. Jesus says you will be hated because they hated me first. When Jesus said, follow me, he's going to Jerusalem to die to give his life. That's where we're to follow him too. The world does not like how we follow the Lord. The world doesn't like it. But see, which brings us to the fourth part of this sermon, Jeremiah gets strength. He gets strength from his prayers. Some of you may know this, may not. I'm going to tell you anyway, so you know when you leave. But Presbyterianism has two strands. Right? It all flows kind of through Calvin, but it has two strands. One is the Dutch strand, and one is the British Westminster strand. So you have the Dutch have a way of belief. They have doctrinal uh, standards. Uh, they have three forms of unity, which is the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. And they hold to that. So every pastor that's a Dutch denomination Presbyterian, that's what they hold. You want to know what they believe? Just read it. That's what they believe. Well, our church and some other Americans, we follow the Westminsterian line. It comes from the Westminster divines, the Puritans. You've heard of them, William Perkins and Jonathan Edwards and, and, and those men, Thomas Brooks. And you're like, you missed my favorite. There's thousands of them. I'm probably going to miss everyone's favorite. But anyway, there's two different strands. And, and one of the differences is that the Dutch do not believe that prayer is a means of grace. Now, they believe prayer is vitally important to the life of the Christian. But they say that is something you do because you're supposed to do it. You should pray because you love Jesus and it's something that you do to exercise your faith. The Westminster branch, which I like, anyway, the Westminster branch of Presbyterianism believes that prayer is a means of grace. And when I say means of grace, it means it's just a conduit. God is wanting to get you from point A to point B and he uses means. And he wants to get you to the point where your heart loves him. You ever heard the sermon and your heart just melts? You're like, I'm a sinner and God saved me. This is great. And you just want to sing the next song. Or you take the Lord's Supper and you just know Jesus is meeting with you and you're strengthened and you're like, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be a good day. I'm going to face it tomorrow. I love being a Christian. God loves me. That's what sacraments do. Right? Baptism, one day, we pray and hope one day that Lydia looks back and in faith she goes, I can't believe God put me in a Christian family. I wasn't born a Muslim. They didn't make me read the Quran. They made me read the Bible, praise the Lord. Hope she's excited about that. We should all be excited that God marked us out of all the people on the earth, us to be in as covenantal people. That's a, it's amazing. This is what prayer does. When we have faith, Jeremiah was in a very dark place. 
He hits his knees and he starts to pray. And the Spirit helped him in his weakness for we know not what to pray. And he got up strengthened. That ever happened to you? Or am I just the only one semi-charismatic Puritan sitting here today? <laughs> You're praying. You ever been mad at somebody? And you just start praying for them? And then you're like, you know what? I've done way worse. <laughs> I've done way worse. You pray, you don't know what to do. You hit your knees, and the next thing you do is you get up and you're like, you know what? God is good. Because prayer is a means of grace. It strengthens your faith. It strengthens who you are. And look at verse 11. Jeremiah takes it to the Lord. He's strengthened, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their internal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. He sees that God is a God who does not neglect his people. He went from originally saying, you have deceived me to no, God doesn't deceive. God is a God that saves. Even in the Old Testament, God is a God who wants to save people, who wants to have mercy, who wants to bless his people. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And now he's singing, sing praise to the Lord. It worked for Jeremiah and it works for you. How much more should it work for you we know the Redeemer's name. Jeremiah didn't even know the Redeemer's name. He just knew there was a promise of a Redeemer. We know his name. We know he rose again from the dead. We know he bled for us on a cross. I don't know if they knew the exact means by which the Redeemer would die. They know he'd crush the head and his heel would get bruised, but they didn't know everything. We know more. How much more should prayer change our hearts and strengthen us. Which brings us to the fifth part of this sermon, Jeremiah's despair. Um, it ends on a bad note. This may confuse you, it may not. As much as I wanted to make this into a chiastic structure and make verse 13 the primary verse, I tried to work it out into my head so much, I can't work it out of my head. Didn't work out even in the Hebrew in my mind. I apologize. Most of the commentaries, like it ends in a, in a sad note. Sad story. Jeremiah is, is happy, but then, then he's low again. And you read through the Psalms, you'll see this sometimes. It's, it's they're on the roller coaster of life. And maybe you're like me, you're on that roller coaster. Some days you're yes, and some days you're like, oh, low. It ends, it ends on a low note. Look how low it is. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. This is the second time in his complaints that he quotes the book of Job. It also shows you how much he likes Scripture. Right? These people are just quoting each other because they know the Word of God is true. He's quoting Scripture here. You would think he'd read all of it. That's what my wife says. Why don't he just read all the book of Job? And then he, <laughs> We know not to question that. Yes, anyway. Verse 15. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let the man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear 
a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. This is a very, very low time of his life. The dark night of the soul has visited him. Why did I come out from my womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? One theologian said one way that, is, that, that you can know the Bible's true is nobody trying to tell a story without the inspiration of Scripture would have actually put this in here. If you were going to write a story about a religion, it would all be good, 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 positive. That's what most books are, right? This is a real book written by a real human being and God inspired what was written for you to see what the Christian life truly is. The ups and downs of the Christian life. He's in pain and it seems that nothing is going right. You may be asking, well, is Jeremiah sinning? As Derek Thomas would say, if that's what you're thinking right now, you're missing the whole sermon. You're missing the point. Jesus knows that pain. He knows the pain. As a matter of fact, he came to earth so he can know your pain. But see, there's a, there's a difference between Jeremiah and Jesus. And a lot of times we look at the types. Uh, Presbyterians love the types, but sometimes we forget the anti-type. Sometimes they're not like Jesus. <laughs> see, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, though he knew what was coming, never sinned. Not one time. Never sinned. Knowing that the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon him, never sinned. For the joy that was set before him, never sinned, endured the cross. When Pilate stands there, do you have nothing to say? If Jesus would have said what he could have said, he would have gotten off because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He knows exactly how to work any system because he created the system. He sat there silent. Why? Because he knew his purpose. He knew the Father's will. He never sinned. Not one time in his life. Thy will be done. He finished the work. He's not like Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't perfect. He was the prophet of God, but he wasn't perfect. Jesus Christ is perfect. And Jesus Christ comes to earth. And if you, if you look at this, this verse here, he says, the last verse, he says, and spend my days in shame. He doesn't, he's not like us. We, we know that Jesus takes our shame. We spoke about this this morning in Sunday school. I shared the story of the prodigal son. It was a shame culture. When the prodigal son went and spent all the money and he was coming back, people would line up in the driveway and shame the person until he made it to the father's home. But that's not what the father does. He runs out and he gets the son because no one will shame his son. Jesus will not let us be shamed. He is not ashamed of us at all. No matter what your sin is, no matter what your past is, He's not ashamed. He bore your sin on Calvary. He knows what it's like to go through this type of pain. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back. He knows what it's like to be punished for sin, though He was perfect. 
That's why you can go to your Savior, Jesus. As we close, it would be really nice if Jeremiah would have ended his psalm on like a Cinderella-like story or I could share something in. Sometimes preachers at the end of their sermon bring this great illustration that kind of had to do with the first and all of a sudden you're like, this is incredible. There's nothing incredible here. There's no Cinderella story. There's no, oh, at midnight, all of a sudden the shoe is found and they're all happy. There's no happiness here. It's just sad, sad, sad. And I'm here to tell you in this life, It may be sad, sad, sad. But see, we believe in the resurrection. (laughs) And we believe in the coming of Jesus. And one day, all wrongs will be made right. And God is working all things out for your good. Dave Dumpy, I'm going to go ahead and steal your Sunday school lesson here. God is working all things out for your good and for his glory. And those sad times and that pain you have in your life, is getting you from this earth to the next to the next earth, to the next world we're going to, to the kingdom of God. That's what God's goal is. His goal is to get you to glory. So everything you go through now is teaching you how to get to glory. It's teaching you to look to Jesus, to look to the cross. And I pray that when you read through Jeremiah, that you will understand that he's not going to waste any of your pain. And you have somewhere to go next time you're in one of those places. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word.